Hi! So I'm going to start this episode with a little bit of a life update. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast like every episode or at least the last few episodes, you might know that I became unemployed in November and then I, I had been looking for a job for like this whole last few months, but it is actually very hard to find a job when you start looking around Thanksgiving and then Christmas follows after that and apparently a lot of people don't post new jobs or start the interview process until after New Year, so it took me a minute to find a new job and it was very stressful, but I have one now, yay! And I made sure to get a job where I knew that I would have a lot of downtime at work so that I could still work on things related to this podcast and to the YouTube channel and to my blog and everything. So I took that into consideration. I am taking this shit seriously. I actually turned down a better job. I got offered a job as a paralegal and it was... It was a paralegal position specifically for an attorney's office that worked exclusively in the probate court, and I do know more about the probate court than the average gal because of the whole Free Britney thing, because conservatorships and guardianships and all that, those take place in the probate court. Uh, even though arguably I would say that a guardianship over someone's person probably should not take place in the court that deals with estates, but no matter. I, I knew quite a lot about probate courts, more than, more than the average gal, like I said, so I was interested in that job and I, I thought that it would be a really cool place for me to learn new stuff, but I turned it down so that I could take a worse job, so that I could have more time to do this shit. So hopefully, over the next couple months or so, there will be some sort of, like, stabilization in content as far as how often I can get stuff out. I'm not gonna say that I'll ever be on a totally regular schedule because I just don't think that's how I am as a person, but I will be uploading more frequently, hopefully. And there are a few things that I am planning on getting out this month. That's the, like, deadline that I've put myself on. So I had, I had been working on this. Um, it, I thought at first it was going to be like a quick little kind of video and almost kind of like a cute little thing that I've been working on over the last few weeks, but then I, I, I've done what I tend to do and I've just kind of gone deeper and deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole and I keep adding stuff to the script for that, that video that I'm working on, which is probably going to be a pretty long video and I hope to have that done by the end of the month because... Uh, I'm, I'm ready to stop working on it now. And it's on a kind of more niche topic that you'll see when it comes out. Um, but I, I, I hope it's good and I hope you like it. And then back at the beginning of this podcast, I think like the second episode, I started the Kardashian retrospective series because I wanted to go back through and look at the entire career of the Kardashians and contextualize it within like a, a bigger cultural narrative. And I got two episodes into that and I have not uploaded a new episode of that series since like, I don't even know, like July maybe? 
and part of that, I had actually started the third episode. I started writing it and researching it. But then all the stuff with like Kanye and Kim and then Kanye becoming a Nazi started to really ramp up and then it just felt weird. And so I made like a three hour video about Kim Kardashian instead. And that's on my YouTube channel if you want to watch it. But the third episode I do plan on having out at some point this month. And then a lot of people are aware of the page that I made for the Amber Heard Johnny Depp saga that's on my my website at medusney.com it's still a site that a lot of people are visiting like when i go to my analytics it's the most viewed page on my website so i know people are still very interested in that and they tell me that they they like it as a resource i'm going to be adding more information to that at some point this month so if you have anything specific that you would like me to add to it then this is the time. Reach out. Email me. Um, but there should be more stuff coming on that page soon. Because I want to add stuff about the complaints that Amber had made about the Virginia court and how that trial panned out. So with the the appeal brief and everything that we now have, I think there's some relevant information that I can put on the page for that. So look out for that. If you use it as a resource, it, it should be a little bit more complete at some point in in this month february my birthday though is actually on the 17th so uh, i don't plan on having any sort of like existential crisis or something but who knows once we get closer maybe i'll have a breakdown and hopefully that won't that won't impede on any of the things i'm working on but we'll see but some of the point of this episode is actually going over some older stuff i'm gonna start with some like brief shit just because it came up um the the grammys were on sunday and i did an episode about the don't worry darling situation the behind the scenes drama from all of that like couple months ago around the time don't worry darling was coming out and i talked a bit about how i thought that harry styles was getting a little bit overexposed and was probably going to uh invoke quite a lot of backlash soon and i think that that's about to really hit a, a climax probably because harry won album of the year at this sunday's grammys and um look i like harry a lot i saw him live i think he is he's a good artist i think there's a lot of potential for him he, he reminds me a bit of like Lana Del Rey at the beginning of her career, where I I wouldn't say that Lana's first couple albums are like her best albums, but you could definitely tell listening to them that like there's something here. There is a potential that if this artist continues to work on it and continues to hone their their unique style, they could make something really incredible. And Lana has done that, you know? Like Norman fucking Rockwell is one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, Harry has not gotten to his Norman fucking Rockwell yet, and is still winning Album of the Year for some reason. Uh, he, he's a very nice-seeming man, and I'm happy for him, but obviously the award probably should have gone to Beyonce, and the fact that this is like the third time in a row that this has happened to her, where she has released a full-length studio album that is just incredible and that is the most obvious choice for album of the year and she continues to not get it because uh she was passed up by a white man back in uh what was it like 2015 
and then uh, Adele, when Lemonade came out, oh, who is a white woman Adele is, if you didn't know, and then now Harry Styles, a white man, um, it's getting a little tiring, and um, I, I don't know what it is that Beyonce has to do to get that award, especially after Lemonade. Like, if Lemonade wasn't album of the year, I don't know what the fuck is. So that makes me very sad for Beyonce and a bit worried for Mr. Harry Styles because, like I said, he has been approaching like a dangerous level of overexposure for a while and a level at which I think any woman in his position would have been crucified by this point. Like we would have already had a Harry Styles is over party on Twitter if Harry were just a different gender. And it kind of makes me laugh because... A few years ago, there was a point where Billie Eilish was winning a lot, a lot of awards, and you could tell with every award she won, she started to get almost a little bit more embarrassed and kind of didn't want to be on the stage. Like, there was a point where she won Album of the Year or something and then just went, okay, thank you, bye, and then ran off the stage before giving, like, a full speech. And I think that Billie did that because Billie knows that the more and more successful she gets the more backlash she's gonna get because people get really, really upset when they see a young woman especially getting a lot of accolades and getting a lot of attention and then people start to find reasons to dislike them and it, it gets bad. And it's funny to me that Billy could kind of see that coming and Harry is still just so genuinely excited. Like he was on stage being like, wow, I can't believe this. He even said something that was so stupid. He went... Things like this don't happen to people like me very often, which, um, they do actually. Sorry, Harry. I know what he meant by that. I think that he just meant because he comes from a really small town and he didn't have a lot of industry connections or anything prior to getting on The X Factor. So he is kind of a rags to riches story in some ways, but also uh, people like you unless people know your background like that, that's just gonna sound like you're saying like people like me, like young white dudes who are insanely good looking and people like that actually get awards all the time. It's kind of their thing. And perhaps if Harry wasn't being guarded by his own privilege so much, he would recognize that that was the wrong thing to say and he would be a little bit more proactive and preventing this kind of bad press around him because he's definitely going to get torn up over the next few weeks because of this because Beyonce deserved the award everyone kind of knew she deserved the award and the Bayhive can get pretty intense and Harry has just been everywhere for so long like he hasn't stopped touring since 2021 he started mid 2021 and he's still got tour dates going until mid this year and then he was in like I don't even know, like three to four different movies, and he's now a part of the Marvel universe. And he keeps releasing new music videos and stuff for his album. I mean, he's probably done now, but he was still releasing new videos up until like a few months ago, which I was like, Harry, you gotta stop the promo a little bit. People are starting to get mad. And he just doesn't see it coming because because that kind of backlash doesn't really happen to people like him that often. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I actually, I feel, I feel bad for him in a way because while I agree that he 
his album really wasn't the album of the year and i i do like him and i liked the album but it it wasn't that outstanding of a record and so i agree he he didn't deserve that award this time i think he's got potential and maybe might deserve it at a future date um even though i obviously yeah he he has a lot of privilege that he's working with and that is benefiting him uh, some of the criticism against him I do think is unfair. I think a lot of the queer baiting allegations are are unfair. I, I don't think that queer baiting is something we should really be accusing human beings of because sexuality is just too complicated for that. And it's not something that anyone has the entitlement to know about another person. Whether or not Harry is queer or totally, like, cis-hetero, it, it's none of my business until he decides to tell me that. So... It's none of my business. And also, I don't like a lot of the queerbaiting allegations that specifically have spawned because of his wardrobe. Like, because Harry has worn a dress on the cover of Vogue or wears things that aren't traditionally masculine, that that somehow means that he's queerbaiting or adopting queer aesthetics. I understand, of course, that the queer community has largely been the community that has helped normalize men dressing in different ways and women dressing in different ways than has been traditionally thought of as like masculine or feminine clothing. I, I get that and the queer community does deserve credit for that, but I also don't think we should be setting a standard where anyone who doesn't dress in a traditionally masculine way and is a man is queer baiting just because of their wardrobe. I, I don't love the way that we're associating specific clothing styles with queerness, but that's just me. And the fact that Harry again won an award against Beyonce, who made an album that was very inspired by the history of the LGBT rights movement and gay culture and black gay culture especially, that contrasted with the fact that her album lost to Harry Styles. It It's not a good look, but that's not Harry's fault. So I, I don't want to hold him accountable for that. At the same time, though, Harry's public persona as like a nice young boy is endearing, but it's gotten a little old and it's fine. I'm sure he is just genuinely a nice guy, so I'm not saying that he has to be inauthentic in his public relations, but as far as his music, I think there's a little bit of an edge missing, and I think he's he's gotten into this point where all of his music seems to be trying to represent this idealized version of a man, like the the male character written by a woman trope, and that's cool, I like that, but it it feels a little tame and tepid and I I would like him to turn up the heat a little bit more so part of me almost hopes that any backlash he gets from all of this makes him like go into his Taylor Swift reputation era or something you know come back with a new era that's a little bit rougher a little bit edgier I, I'd be into it and then an update from my very last episode which was about that 90s show and some of the allegations against Danny Masterson and how none of the cast members of that 90s show have really said anything about those allegations. 
uh, after I posted that, Ashton Kutcher did say something. He basically said, like, we can never know. I hope he didn't do those things, and I hope he's found innocent, and that's some dumb fucking shit to say. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that uh, Ashton Kutcher apparently is still in contact with Danny Masterson. Maybe not directly, but I guess he said that he's in contact with Danny's brother. And as I mentioned in the last episode, Danny's brother is Chris Masterson, who played Francis in uh, Malcolm in the Middle. And I love Malcolm in the Middle, so that makes me very, very sad because Chris Masterson has been supporting his brother through all of this and even paid his, like, $5 million bail or whatever. So... Just sad. Sad and disappointing all around, but I'm, I I do plan on making another thing about Danny Masterson's allegations soon. Again, hopefully this month I hope to have it out, because Ashton's comments just kind of sent me over the edge, where I was like, how the fuck can you say we don't know? Like, you weren't in that position, so you, you don't know about it. You don't know if Danny raped those women because you weren't there. Um... You should know because there's, like, five women that have come forward. And also, Ashton knows, like, all of those women. He's met them. So he has decided to believe his friend Danny over these other women that he he does also have a personal association with or did at one point. And that's um, really gross to me. And I didn't mention it in the last episode, but Ashton has, like, a kind of seedy history himself with, like... He he's championed this human trafficking thing. Not not that he's a human trafficker, but this this software that is supposed to prevent human trafficking, but actually does not do a very good job. And there's like millions and millions of dollars that is being funneled into this software company that him and Demi Moore created. And it's actually done a lot of harm to sex workers and people who are consensually a part of like a sex trade. And it has not really been proven to help all that many victims of actual human trafficking. And it's a bit sus to me. It, it's, I didn't mention it last time because I was like, it's not really that relevant. But I think the fact that Ashton has tried to kind of profit off of some bunk human trafficking statistics that other people just kind of made up. And I'll talk about that more in a, in a future project that... Again, she'll play me up this month, but it just, it really grosses me out that he's, he's profited off of the obvious tragedy of human trafficking and sex trafficking, and it won't even support these five women that have come out against his friend and have, have evidence and have witnesses, and oh, it's just fucking gross. Fuck you, Ashton Kutcher. But for the rest of this episode, I want to focus on two main topics that are kind of related to one another. That is a deep fake pornography, which has become a, a bigger part of public consciousness recently because of a recent online controversy, and also Pamela Anderson's new documentary. Um, so I'll explain how those two are related in a minute, but I want to give my quick review of the documentary. It's on Netflix. It's called Pamela, A Love Story. It's good. I liked it. Uh, I don't have that much to say other than that. It takes a very human look at Pamela, and that makes sense because she is a human being. And literally, just by pointing a camera in a human being's direction, you're going to get a, a human portrait. And I'm glad that that exists now because prior to 
this new Netflix documentary. There was that Pam and Tommy series that came out on Hulu that was kind of trying to, quote unquote, humanize Pamela uh, and reevaluate her story, even though Pamela had absolutely nothing to do with that show and even indicated that she didn't want it made and didn't want that story told by someone who wasn't her. And they went forward with it anyway. So this new Netflix documentary does what the Hulu series refused to do, which is tell Pamela's story from her own voice. So I'm glad that that exists. And it kind of highlights a, a new issue that exists because a lot of people are trying to reevaluate and reexamine a lot of the stuff that happened to people in the early 2000s, especially women. And we saw that with the Framing Britney documentary that came out, along with every other fucking Britney documentary that followed it within like a couple months span. And in some ways, those, those pieces are important because I do think that they have helped a lot of people look back at things that happened in the 2000s and realize that, yeah, that was a pretty fucked up era, especially for women. It was an incredibly misogynistic period in American culture and just broader Western culture. So those things absolutely do have value. Unfortunately, a lot of that media is being made without the people who these things actually happen to being at the forefront of those stories. So all the documentaries made about Britney, Britney has complained about several times on Instagram about how she was not involved in those documentaries and she doesn't understand why people feel empowered to tell her story for her. Now, in fairness to the people who made the docs about Britney, some of them, I'm mostly trying to be fair to the New York Times, who I think were kind of trying their best. They even said in framing Britney that they tried to reach out to Britney and did not receive any comment back because Britney was still in a conservatorship being overrun by her father and her former team who were very abusive and did not want her talking to any media outlets. So at least for like the New York Times and stuff, okay, they they maybe wanted Britney to be at the forefront of that story, but they literally couldn't reach her because of the apparatus that surrounded her. With Pam and Tommy, though, it's like, you knew, you knew that Pam didn't want that, that series made, and you went forward with it anyway, even though Pam is perfectly capable of telling her own story and is still, still alive on this planet, not in any sort of conservatorship that has gagged her voice at all. She was very accessible, and, and when you did access her, you received a pretty clear message that she didn't want anything to do with what you were doing, so you probably shouldn't have done that at all. But that's just something that goes even further than Britney or Pamela, because obviously there was that, that blonde movie that came out that was basically trauma porn, looking at the life and career of Marilyn Monroe. And again, it's just an outsider trying to take these women's stories and tell them themselves in whatever kind of perspective they want to see these women through and it, it's a little weird and I like that the new Netflix documentary with Pamela they do address that like head-on they talk about the Hulu show and they talk about how demoralizing and demeaning that was for Pamela to have to deal with someone else telling her story for her so I'm glad that we have that perspective out there in a very 
very unambiguous way. And overall, I would say the documentary is just really well made, really well edited. Uh, it is pretty emotionally poignant while also being pretty funny and it has a good tone to it. It strikes a very good balance. So I recommend it if you're going to watch it. If you feel like maybe you want to watch it, go ahead, do it. Especially since Netflix is pulling a whole bunch of bullshit lately. So while you've got an account, use it. And who knows, maybe we'll all have to cancel in a few months because they can't make up their mind about this password sharing bullshit, whatever. But a few episodes ago, I did my predictions for 2023, and one of the predictions that I put on there was Pamela Anderson will say something absolutely wild in Pamela, A Love Story. I thought it was going to be something like, I don't know, that she was going to admit that she's in this like insane holistic lifestyle sort of thing or that she's fallen down some sort of conspiracy theory. I don't know. Pam is just a wild card of a person and she's very entertaining in that way, but you just never know what's going to come out of her mouth. So I was prepping for that. She didn't say anything that wild in the documentary. I did also read her book, which came out on like the same day. Well, I didn't read it. I listened to it. It's pretty short. I got it on Audible and it was like five hours total and like three hours if you listen to it on 1.8 speed. So again, another recommendation if you feel like diving deeper into the Pamela Anderson story. But there was something in her book that really fucking threw me. She very casually brings up this incident with her father when she was younger and uh, a trigger warning for like animal violence here. Hey, this is gnarly. She, she was talking about how much she loved animals and how she was kind of a rule breaker. And there were there was this cat that lived outside and the cat had kittens and she wasn't supposed to take the kittens inside, but she did. And then her dad came home and saw the kittens, put them in a bag and then walked outside and drowned them in the ocean in the bag while Pamela watched as a way to like punish her for taking the kittens inside. And oh my God, she just... She says it so casually and then it's kind of like, oh, I was traumatized, but, you know, I, I did break the rule. I was like, oh my god, girl, he fucking murdered kittens in front of you. That's insane. Like I said, the book is not that long, so as much as she does give some specific examples of fucked up things that happened to her in her life, you do get this sense that, like, there's way more that she's not telling you because to watch kittens be murdered in front of you by your own father and then still kind of brush it off and be like oh well I was breaking a rule like you know that on like a daily basis that household was fucked because there's there's no way to normalize that if you come from like an even slightly stable background which kind of leads into how she wound up in some other situations in her adulthood especially regarding men and her endurance of a lot of domestic abuse, whether physical or emotional. So let's have it acknowledged, for one thing, that some of the way that she talks about these relationships is maybe a bit unreliable in that she tends to downplay some stuff that has happened to her. So I think there's always the possibility that some of these relationships were actually even worse than she depicts them in the documentary and the book. But I will say that I do really like the way that she talks about these abusive relationships because she talks about them in a kind of matter-of-fact way 
and talks about them with some amount of like reverence or love for her abusive partners. And I know that that sounds weird that I'm like praising her for that. I obviously, whatever relationship people have with their abusive exes is a personal thing. But this is what I want to say about that is that I think that abusive patterns and abusive behaviors and especially misogynistic abuse is something that gets really, really normalized in our culture and has been historically. We're just now kind of breaking out of it. And a lot of people just now seem to be developing an understanding of what abuse is and how it can manifest to the point that like, yeah, when you go online, you'll sometimes see people using the word gaslighting a little liberally, like anytime someone is incorrect about something or someone, then someone else will be like, oh, you were you were gaslighting me. It's like, no, they just gave you wrong information. It's not totally the same thing. Or like anytime someone lies, like not all not all acts of lying are gaslighting. Gaslighting is a very particular form of emotional abuse that mostly involves like an intimate relationship. It's very hard to gaslight a stranger, but it's not to say it can't happen. It's it's like a process that, you know, kind of takes takes a bit of time to convince someone that they're like actually insane when they're not. Anyway, so yeah, people bastardize the term gaslighting pretty frequently on the internet, but it also kind of makes sense that people would do that because for a lot of people, they only were introduced to the term gaslighting like a few years ago, even though gaslighting is a pretty central part to a lot of emotionally abusive relationships. So this is something that a lot, a lot of us are are reconciling with and discovering how to identify abuse in normal day-to-day situations, whether that's in a domestic partnership or in a friendship or in a family or even like an employer. An employer can be abusive to you. And abuse can manifest in a way that is so covert and kind of nuanced and complicated that it, it isn't always people that are monstrous that are abusers. Obviously, there are fucking monstrous people in the world who abuse people like pathologically. But also, because abuse has been so normalized and misogyny specifically has been so normalized because we live in a patriarchy, it's not always going to be the unambiguously bad people that commit acts of abuse or misogyny. It's sometimes going to be decent people too. And I can't say that all of Pamela's exes are decent people. I don't know them personally. And I also don't think that she's got the best taste in men, to be honest. But the fact that she sees those people as mostly good and yet still can label what they did as abuse, I think that's a very positive way to conceptualize these relationships for a lot of people. Just in my own experience, I've had friends who were in relationships that were definitely, definitely abusive, but because they couldn't see their partner as the kind of monster that they associated with an abuser, it was hard for them to reconcile that and they they would sort of conceptualize the abuse they were experiencing as just a temporary a temporary phase that their relationship was going through or some sort of fluke or something that they could 
perhaps help their partner out of and help their partner unlearn. And yeah, like some abusive patterns can be unlearned. Um, I wouldn't recommend that you stay in a relationship for that, though, because part of the problem, part of the reason that people are able to develop these patterns is because they didn't have like really firm boundaries enforced on them when they were younger and there weren't severe consequences to their abusive behaviors at a young age a lot of the time. So by staying in a relationship, you are kind of solidifying the idea to them that you are going to put up with anything and they can do anything to you. And I, it, most of the time, I think that their patterns are not going to improve with that. There needs to be some sort of consequence, which will probably have to be you leaving the relationship and that is worth doing whether or not you think your partner is a piece of shit. You could think they are a very, very good person, and that still doesn't justify the fact that they are abusing you. So I like that Pamela is representing that mindset when she talks about, like, Tommy Lee, for example, where she says, Tommy Lee was probably the love of my life, and I'll love him forever, but he also did things that I can't put up with in a relationship. I think that is a very, very healthy way to conceptualize an abusive relationship sometimes. And sometimes, again, there are just people that are terrifying that you need to get away from, like, right away because they're, like, actually a bad person. But a lot of times an abusive relationship is going to be something that's a little bit more nuanced and complicated where you're going to feel like you do still have a lot of love for that person. And the abuse might not negate that love, but... That love does not justify remaining in a position in which you are being treated badly. I also like the way that Pamela just talks about relationships and marriage specifically, where she's gotten divorced so many times and she's like, yeah, I just get married and then if I'm not happy, I just leave. I love that. I mean, I would recommend if you, that keeps happening to you, maybe take a little bit longer before you get married. But I also am fully on board with the idea of like, yeah, you made a commitment to someone, but if things change in that relationship or if you just change your mind, you can leave at any time. You don't have to stay in a bad situation just because you've got a fucking ring on your finger. You can take it off, okay? It's a ring. It's, it's meant to be removed occasionally and maybe permanently. I'm very pro-divorce, so I like to see some positive divorce representation in media. It warms my heart. Now, despite all that, uh, Pamela still definitely has some residual internalized misogyny that is on covert display in this documentary because she pretty quickly said something in the documentary that I took note of. It's not something that's totally wild, so I'm not going to count it toward my 2023 predictions, but it was something that I picked up on, and I think I just picked up on it because this is a subject that I've talked about so much, and to hear the very brief way that she describes these situations uh, was disappointing, but also... Again, this was something that I was kind of talking about with her being sort of a wild card of a person. Pamela Anderson is the perfect representation of the fact that there are no perfect victims. She is absolutely a victim of abuse in many, many different ways. At the same time, 
she does not always stand beside other abuse victims, and that is very disappointing, but it doesn't negate what she's gone through, and it doesn't invalidate her own feelings about her own life, but it does make me sad because I wish she would recognize the abuse that other women have endured as well. So there's a part in the documentary where she talks about her own sex tape, and then she says something along the lines of, like, people thought that I was doing it for money or attention, and it didn't help that right after me there were women who used sex tapes to get famous, and that was where I was like, oh, Pamela, come on. Obviously, the people that she's talking about, the most prominent examples would be Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian, and I've talked about this in previous episodes and also the the video, the three-hour YouTube video that I did about Kim Kardashian, and I, I very much do not agree with that, that conception, that idea that Kim or Paris used their sex tapes to get famous. For one thing, both of them already had reality shows before the sex tapes, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. Now, with Keeping Up With The Kardashians, that wasn't actually filming, and that hadn't aired yet when Kim Kardashian Superstar came out, but it was in pre-production, and it was greenlit by E, the, the network E. Ryan Seacrest had already made, like, a little reel. They were producing the, the series, they were getting things ready for it, and then the sex tape was announced, so... Whether or not Kim Kardashian Superstar was released, Keeping Up With The Kardashians still would have aired, and Kim Kardashian would still be a reality star to some degree. Now, would the show have been that popular without her sex tape? Would she be as famous as she currently is? Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe her star would have faded immediately. Maybe there would have only been one season of Keeping Up. We'll, we'll never really know that, but it wasn't the thing that got her in the door. Kim already had a deal with the E! Network, or her, her mother had the deal, really, because Chris was the one talking to Ryan Seacrest about it. But Kim had also been, like, in The Simple Life, and she had, she had been in some cameo for, I think, one of the reality shows that one of her brothers was in. Her brother, like, brothers, stepbrothers, because these are the sons of Caitlyn Jenner. They were on, like, the hills and shit already. So, like, Kim was already involved in that world. It was the sex tape that sort of pushed her over the edge. But it's not like we know for sure that she wouldn't have been as successful without the sex tape because she was already going in that direction. But then with Paris, it's really, really unfair to say that the sex tape is what made her famous because The Simple Life was already, like, mid-season. Like, multiple episodes had aired. They were already on TV. Again, maybe that definitely, like, boosted the ratings and perhaps Paris wouldn't have been as famous without the sex tape. But again, it's not the thing that launched her career. And with the two of them, both of them had their privacy violated to different degrees. With Kim, it's a little more complicated, and I talked about this in one of the, the Kardashian retrospective episodes and then in the, the Kim video, but Kim did not put out the sex tape. What happened was someone else, some person who wasn't either Kim or Ray J, got a hold of it, took it to Vivid. 
Vivid then announced that they had it. Kim sued Vivid. Kim filed a lawsuit or at least sent like a cease and desist. She announced that she was going to be suing. Her and Vivid and Ray J all then had to have some sort of discussion and collaboration on this because Vivid said that they didn't want to go forward with putting the video out unless they had like the full legal clear. And they might have been legally cleared to put it out even without Kim's consent because Ray J was the copyright holder of that video and Ray J seemed like he was pretty okay with it. His girlfriend at the time said that he thought that the tape was going to make him white girl famous, so he was very eager to leverage it for his own fame. So, as I said previously, if Kim had sued Vivid, had gone forward with the lawsuit, and had taken it all the way to court, there was a chance, there was actually a pretty high likelihood at this point, because this was like 2007, there was a pretty high likelihood that the judge was just going to say, well, if you didn't want a sex tape put out, you shouldn't have made one. He owns the copyright. He can put it out if he wants. Vivid is clear to do this. And then Vivid could put it out and Kim could get nothing. That was a very, very real possibility. That is actually something very similar to what happened to Pamela. Pamela and Tommy sued Hustler magazine for putting uh, screenshots from her sex tape in their magazine. And when they took that to court, the judge just dismissed it immediately and said, okay, well, you're famous and you have like a sexualized image, so this is something that they're allowed to do. Other people can share stolen footage and images of you, and if you didn't want that to happen, you shouldn't have made those things in the first place. That is what Pamela Anderson was told in the 90s. And that is also kind of what Paris Hilton was told. Like, Paris Hilton had her own lawsuit just fucking dismissed before she could even take it to trial. And with Kim, even if she hadn't made the deal with Vivid, the fact that someone else had this tape in their possession in the first place meant that it could just be put on the internet at any point anyway. So even if Vivid wasn't making money off of it, even if Ray J wasn't making money off of it, and she wasn't making money off of it, someone else could very easily post it on the internet and it's still out there. So what Kim did is she settled her lawsuit with Vivid. They paid her about like, the rumor is about five million dollars. That's never been confirmed, but they paid her a couple million at least. And then she she allowed them to sell the tape. That's basically what happened. So in some ways, yes, Kim consented to the tape being released. She was not the person to distribute it, and she was not the person to originally take it to Vivid. And that is something, if you don't believe me, that is what Vivid has always said. Vivid has said, yeah, Kim didn't want this tape released, and we had to work really, really hard to get her to agree to release it. So <sighs> this idea that she she's not like a real victim because she eventually signed off on this release. She really had very, very few options that were good for her. No matter what, someone else had possession of the tape and there wasn't much she could do about that. The only thing she could do is ensure that she got a paycheck for it. And so that's what she did. Paris, on the other hand, had even less involvement in the release of her tape than that. Like with Kim, she did sue her ex-boyfriend for releasing the tape, but she did that after he already released it, and then they settled for like $400,000. So at that point, the tape was already out there. There wasn't anything she could do to like take it back. So her settlement was definitely not like in agreement to, yeah, you can distribute this. And with Paris's tape, 
She has even said that she didn't really want to make the tape to begin with, that she was really out of it at the time, that she felt pressured into making it by her boyfriend. She was incredibly young. He was quite a bit older than her. And also, his name is Rick Solomon, and he was a husband of Pamela's twice. They got married twice, and she talks about that in the documentary. She talks about marrying Rick Solomon and says that they broke up because he was addicted to crack or something, like she found a crack pipe in their Christmas tree, which I don't know why that's where you would put it, but whatever, I don't do crack, so I don't know these things. But she talks very briefly about her relationship with Rick Solomon and never once mentions that he was the ex of Paris Hilton and the ex that made and distributed the sex tape made by Paris. And that to me is one of the most disappointing things about Pamela Anderson's overall career and life and public persona. Like, she's on this documentary low-key shading other women for kind of profiting off of their own sex tapes, which they, they really didn't. Paris never wanted it out there. Kim, I think, is a business person first and foremost, so I, I don't think that she would want the tape out there now to begin with, but I also think that Kim was much more willing than Paris was to leverage it in her career, so I guess in that way you could say that she used it to get more famous, but with Paris that is just such an unfair accusation, and it's extra sad that the only reason that the tape even exists is because of Rick Solomon, who Pamela had a very intimate relationship with and has not ever once condemned him for doing to Paris what was done to her, which she said traumatized her when it happened to her. I mean, that is just so hypocritical and disappointing to me that Pam knows firsthand what it feels like to have her privacy violated like that and then can't extend that kind of sympathy toward another woman that this happened to by a man that she fucking married twice. Come on, girl. But this isn't the first time that Pamela has displayed quite a lot of internalized misogyny and a, a lack of a good, like, girl code. She often sides with men over her fellow sisters. Even when criticizing men, which is the weirdest thing, so something you might not know about Pamela is that she became a pretty staunch anti-pornography advocate, despite the fact that she is involved in quite a lot of adult content. I mean, she's posed for Playboy multiple times. I believe she was actually the last centerfold in Playboy, because a couple years ago, uh, they might have even gone back on this decision since then, I'm not sure, but a few years ago they announced that Playboy wasn't going to have nude women in the magazine anymore, which <laughs> I, I get that there's like the whole joke about I read Playboy for the articles, and I've heard that some of the articles actually are pretty good. There are some good writers that work for the magazine, but also nude women are like your thing, so I don't know why you would want to backtrack on that. But after they made that announcement, I believe that Pamela Anderson was one of the last, if not the very last, nude centerfold for the magazine. So she has been a long-time advocate for Playboy and other 
forms of media that depict women nude and in a sexualized format, which is porn. I mean, it's not the same kind of porn, I guess, as like adult film where you're having sex on camera, but it's still like a part of the same industry. So I don't know why you can turn your nose up at one and not the other, but whatever. While she has still been very pro-playboy, she is very anti-pornography in other formats to the point that she actually co-authored a Wall Street Journal article with a rabbi, and the article was called Take the Pledge, No More Indulging Porn. Now, for sure, the porn industry is very misogynistic, and I think porn overall as like is a concept it's fine it's just people having sex on camera or on film or people posing nude whatever it's okay i do think that to a degree because of how patriarchal our society is that it can have a lot of adverse effects on the people who watch it the people who participate in it yada yada i think that that would not be as big of a problem if we had like proper sex education in this country but we don't so yeah porn definitely has some downsides i would not swear off the entire idea of porn i don't i don't think that it is in concept a negative thing but for sure it can manifest in some horrific ways and Pamela is not the first person to be involved in the porn industry or the adult entertainment industry who has come out against porn pretty staunchly. And I think there's a very good reason for that because the industry is incredibly abusive a lot of the time. There are many, many women who participate in porn who later regret it and who see the entire industry as kind of evil and abusive and a lot of those people can become pretty staunch anti-pornography advocates and even though i don't agree with their stance from like a we should ban all porn kind of way i also do sympathize with why they think that porn is so harmful but at least a lot of those advocates as misguided as i think some of their conclusions might be they usually come from it from the perspective of sympathizing with the women involved in porn and how taken advantage of those those girls are a lot of the time uh but pamela pamela and this rabbi in their article seem to be much much more concerned with what pornography is doing to men and not even specifically like what it's doing to men and how it's enabling men to be more abusive toward women or anything like that no it's it's very dominantly just about like this is bad for men um here let me read some of it from our respective positions of rabbi counselor and former playboy model and actress we have often warned about pornography's coercive effects on a man's soul and on his ability to function as husband and, by extension, as father. This is a public hazard of unprecedented seriousness given how freely available, anonymously accessible, and easily disseminated pornography is nowadays. How many families will suffer? How many marriages will implode? How many talented men will scrap their most important relationships and careers for a brief, onanistic thrill? How many children will propel warp speed into the dark side of adult sexuality by forced exposure to their father's profanations? 
Simply put, we must educate ourselves and our children to understand that porn is for losers, a boring, wasteful, and dead-end outlet for people too lazy to reap the ample rewards of healthy sexuality. This is a very weird way, to me, to conceptualize the potential harms of porn, that it will destroy men's potential and talent, and not that it will hurt women, potentially. Yeah, I... Okay. Okay, Pamela. Most infamously, though, Pam got into a bit of controversy with some statements she made about the Me Too movement, especially following the publicization of Harvey Weinstein's crimes. Pamela said, It's just common sense. Don't go into a hotel room alone. If someone answers the door in a bathroom, leave. Those are things that are common sense. It was common knowledge that certain producers or certain people in Hollywood are people to avoid privately. You know what you're getting into if you go to a hotel room alone. So that's Pamela saying pretty much that the women who were assaulted by Harvey Weinstein because they went up to his hotel room because he invited them there for a business meeting, that they sort of brought it upon themselves that they should have known better. And that is a very, very gross thing to say, especially when you look at the severity of the crimes that Harvey Weinstein committed and the amount that he did it. Like, all of those women, all of those things that happened to them, you're just going to write off as like, well, it's common sense. You shouldn't have gone up to the hotel room with them. Like, fuck off, Pamela. And then Megan Kelly, who I'm not usually on the side of, pointed out that it wasn't even those women that set up those meetings. A lot of the times it was their agents that set up meetings for them and told them to go up to Harvey Weinstein's hotel room. To which Pamela responded, you know what you're getting into if you go to a hotel room alone. I'd go with them. Send somebody with them. That's not what they should have done. I think there's easy ways to remedy that. That's not a good excuse. So, because you should know not to go up into a hotel room with Harvey Weinstein, even if your agents were the one to set up that, that appointment for you, it's still your fault if you went alone. You should have taken your agent with you. I mean, what the fuck? And to say that's not a good excuse? Excuse for what? Feeling assaulted? Ay, ay, ay. She also said, women are strong and quite capable as adults to be responsible for ourselves, and that includes being co-responsible for decisions being made in the bedroom. I believe in female empowerment, but it seems some cultures actually want to keep women viewed as victims. You mean the ones that were legitimately victimized, though? It, it's okay to call those women victims. Uh, and what do you mean decisions being made in the bedroom? That is not what happened there. They were raped. Ay, ay, ay. And she was actually confronted about some of those comments recently by none other than Ronan Farrow, who is the person who really publicized the allegations against Harvey when he was working for The New Yorker. And then he wrote his book, um, what's it called? Catch and Kill or whatever, which was all about his process talking to these women and how he was basically harassed and threatened prior to putting out his report on Harvey Weinstein because people really wanted to keep those allegations secret. So I respect 
Ronan Farrow a lot because he really went above and beyond what other journalists would do. Most journalists would just stop covering that that topic because the situation was becoming so precarious for him. But he went forward anyway, so this is clearly something that he takes very seriously. And I admire the fact that he decided to still talk to Pamela Anderson about this issue since she basically kind of kind of undermined all of his work by saying like, well, those women shouldn't have been in the hotel room to begin with, so who cares? But he, he asked her about it recently in an interview that he did with Interview Magazine. He, he asked Pamela and she said, I could even take it a step further. My mother would tell me, and I think this is kind of the feminism I grew up with, it takes two to tango. Believe me, I've been in many situations where it's like, come in here, little girl, sit on my bed. But my mom would say, if someone answers the door in a hotel robe and you're going for an interview, don't go in. But if you do go in, get the job. That's a horrible thing to say, but that's how I was. I skated on the edges of destruction. I just had this sense of value and self-worth. But I think a lot of people don't have that or they weren't taught that. Thank God for the Me Too movement because things have changed and people are much more careful and respectful. So it sounds like she's kind of trying to walk it back by by speaking positively of the Me Too movement, but she's still doing it in a way where she's like, well, I guess the reason that those women were in the hotel room is just because no one ever told them not to do that, or they don't have the self-worth to know not to do that. And that is that is so reductive to the experience of those women who were coerced into those situations to begin with, and who were really, really brutally attacked in some situations to the point that even if you knew going into the hotel room that you were going to be like hit on or something, there was just no way to prepare for what happened to a lot of those girls. I mean, it, this is such a gross way to talk about this entire thing. And especially that line about it, it takes two to tango. Like, girl, fuck you. I, 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 you know, like I said, Pamela is very cool in some ways, and I like the way that she talks about certain things, but I also wish that she would stand up for her her fellow woman a little bit more. But she she said prior, when talking about the subject of feminism in general, she said, I think this feminism can go too far. I'm a feminist, but I think that this third wave feminism is a bore. I think it paralyzes men. I think that this Me Too movement is a bit too much for me. And like, it's just sort of ironic talking about self-worth and accusing these other women who were assaulted and raped of not having self-worth, literally just because they were raped. It's ironic that Pamela, her only priority seems to be sympathizing with and giving comfort to men. To conceptualize all of feminism as something that can be paralyzing to men when you have been so brutally abused by so many men in your life. I mean, come on, girl. Does that, does that sound like someone who has a whole lot of self-worth? But moving on, I want to talk about a different situation now that I think is kind of connected to this one. Uh, the deep fake porn controversy that broke out recently on the internet. So if you missed it, there was a Twitch streamer who goes by the name of Atrioc. I've never watched him before. I don't know much about him, but I guess he ran in like 
some left-leaning circles. Uh, he is someone who doesn't have, like, a whole big history of, like, misogyny, as far as I'm aware. He's pretty liberal, I think. But he was caught watching deep fake pornography, possibly of women that he has an association with. There were two other Twitch streamers that were seen on a screenshot of one of his tabs. What happened was he was streaming and then he went to go to a different tab or something, but it was like one of those Windows computers where it'll show you like all your tabs at once if you hover over something. And so it showed a portion of his tab and what was up on the tab were some shots of deep fake porn of two Twitch streamers that he has either met before or just that, you know, he has an association with because they are also on Twitch and they are people who exist within similar communities that he, he interacts in. Now, he has said that he wasn't actually watching any porn of those two women, that that was like a pop-up thing that existed on the site as like a save screen kind of thing. So I don't know if that's true. The site itself has been taken down since this whole thing came out. But what we do know is that Atrioc was looking at deepfake pornography that he paid to look at. This was a paid site that he had to put his credit card information into just to be able to access. So this wasn't something that he just stumbled upon, even though he kind of tried to make it seem that way. He was like, oh, I just, I had seen these ads on this other site and then I clicked on it and then, you know, put in all my credit card information. He didn't say that part, but he did indicate at some point, like, no, this was like a site that I paid to be on. And that's that that doesn't sound like you just stumbled upon something. You had plenty of time to to think about what you were doing. But whatever. I don't know what he was looking at on the site. I'm not gonna say the name of the Twitch streamers that were seen in that screenshot, um, because they don't wanna have any association with this. Um, but someone else did come out, uh, Cutie Cinderella, who's another Twitch streamer, who I I don't watch Twitch a whole lot. Sometimes I'll watch clips of Twitch streamers on YouTube after the fact. So I, I don't know Cutie Cinderella all that much, but I do know that she's a Swifty, so I feel bonded to her for that. And she seems like a nice gal. She was also on this site, which again has been taken down, but she she talked about this in her own Twitch stream. She was crying in the in the stream and talking about how this has all affected her and how she's paid money to get stuff like this taken down because that's something that when you become like a public figure who is female uh, the chances of something like this happening to you where someone will make pornography of you without your consent the chances are pretty high at this point. I would say that maybe even most likely, like if you get famous enough, you, it's most likely going to happen to you. People are going to make porn with your face on it and your likeness that you did not participate in creating yourself. And that is very, very unfortunate. So she talked about how she has paid people throughout the last, like, I don't even know how long of her career to just go and take shit like this down and how exhausting it is for her and how exhausting it is just to live in a culture that does this to women so frequently. I mean, 
there's deep fake pornography of men that exists too, but absolutely not to the same prevalence as it does for women. And it, it's really dispiriting and sad. And it it makes it makes a lot of technological advances seem kind of dystopian in a way. So if you don't know what deep fake porn is, it's basically just taking someone's like face, their like a photo or video of their face. And this is done now with AI technology a lot of the time. So stuff like this has existed before where, you know, I remember in the 2000s Googling my favorite celebrities and then occasionally coming across like a photoshopped image of like Britney Spears face on a porn star's body. So that's that's like an example of a deep fake, but that's a still image. What's happening right now with videos is people are taking AI technology and with women who are public figures who there is a lot of footage of, not even a, a lot, a lot, but like just a decent amount where you can see their face moving, you can see them talking, you can see like the different dimensions of their face and their head and their body. These AI things will like take all the information and all the data from that, those videos, and then they will then recreate them on like a porn star's body so that it looks like these female public figures are having sex when they are not, that they are a part of a pornographic video that they never consented to be a part of. And that is horrifying because again, it doesn't take that much data in that many videos to be able to make something that looks pretty realistic. And by just being a woman who is a public figure in any capacity, not even like a public public figure, but just someone who has a Twitch channel or a YouTube channel or maybe even like a TikTok account or an Instagram or anything where you post your face a lot, this can be made of you. And the more, the more famous you get, the more people are aware of you, the more likely it is to happen. So it feels very inevitable that if you're a female public figure, something like this of you, is probably going to exist at some point. And there's just nothing you can do to stop that. And yeah, that, that really sucks, especially because AI technology has a lot of like cool potential and yet it comes with this horrible risk of a lack of privacy and also just misinformation because even outside of the potential of deep fake porn, there's also deep fake like just public statements and stuff because they can do this with people's voices too if you've been on twitter a lot in the last like month there have been a lot of different like covers kind of like ai covers of certain artists singing other artists songs and that is like kind of cool like i like hearing lady gaga singing a lana del rey song it's kind of fun but also it's stuff like that that sets up a risk for a lot of misinformation if you can get someone's voice saying something specific that that person would never say and announcing something that that doesn't exist it it opens up a lot of a lot of problems and it's also it shed a lot of doubt onto things that are real like with this whole andrew tate shit that's happening right now there is an audio recording of him basically admitting to raping and assaulting a woman but because of all this AI shit, I see people on the internet being like, oh, I don't believe that that's his real voice. I think that's an AI bot that that made that recording, even though this is a recording that has existed 
for years and has been in the possession of police for years before technology like this was even that accessible. So it it doesn't it's not realistic. And also, if it was AI, then Andrew Tate's legal team would prove that it was in like an instant with the metadata. But they haven't done that because it is real. But the fact that technology like this exists plants this like seed of doubt in a lot of people's minds that they can exploit to say anything that they don't like is fake or anything that they do like is real. And they can just create a whole new reality of facts. And that's fucking terrifying. And even the potential of like virtual reality porn, which I I think VR sounds like such a cool thing that I'm looking forward to. For our future, I hope that in the next 10 years or so, we've got some like really cool virtual reality technology because that's a whole new frontier that we can explore uh, for all sorts of purposes. But one of those purposes that is motivating a lot of people is VR porn. And I'm not against that in theory. I don't think there's anything wrong in concept of putting yourself into like a fantasy scenario that feels more realistic and more um, visceral than just watching a video or reading something or looking at photos. I think that's fine in theory, but also we just live in such a patriarchal misogynistic society that there's part of me that's like, I don't know that this is something our culture can handle at the moment, you know? Men already have such a hard time understanding and appreciating the fact that women are human beings that I don't know I really want them to be enabled to engage in sexual activity with a woman who is in fact not a real human being. You know what I mean? I, I want to get more men onto the idea that they need to treat their female sexual partners and all their sexual partners, whether or not they're women or not. This is just something that affects women more than it does other people, but I, I think they all need to get on board with the idea that the people they're already having sex with in real life are real human beings before we let them explore the possibility of having sex with something that looks a lot like a woman and is not actually a real person with real feelings. I just, I don't know how good I feel about all that. Like, do we really need AI sex bots or something? <sighs> I don't know. But anyway, I really appreciate the fact that Cutie Cinderella did that Twitch stream where she showed herself being really emotional, talking about the toll that this has taken on her life, being a victim of deepfake pornography, partially because her being a public figure who's talking about this so publicly and with so many eyes on her at this current moment because of this controversy, it is just opening the door for a lot of people to be aware of this issue in the first place because there is not really any sort of legal precedent at the moment to stop deepfake pornography. It's really in a gray area as far as whether or not this shit is legal at all because it's just so new. And so I hope that these conversations push forward the legal process a bit so that we can get some very clear boundaries about what kind of what kind of applications this AI technology is legally permitted to have and what what we cannot use it for cuz as this technology evolves that's going to be a very very 
big thing that we need to work out, and the sooner the better. And while we're at it, I hope that we revisit a lot of the discussions about revenge porn, because one of the most disappointing things that I've seen come from this controversy is the fact that people think revenge porn is like totally illegal, and it's kind of not. First of all, it's not, there's no sort of law made on a federal basis. It's all just state by state, and only 48 out of 50 states have any laws in place barring revenge porn, which, you know, 48 out of 50 is a good, good percentage, but still, those two states where there's no law at all is pretty frightening. And depending on the state, the severity of the crime can differ from like misdemeanor to felony. So a lot of, lot of wiggle room there. And since this is an issue that takes place mostly online, it's really hard to even say what the jurisdiction of certain cases is. Because if the victim is in one state, but the perpetrator is in another state, and this all happens online, how do you say what court these cases should be tried in should a case have to go to court? I don't know. It would make more sense if there was just a federal law, since the internet affects all of the country on a pretty equal playing field, like most things get uploaded to everywhere, not just to one specific state. So it would make a lot more sense to just have these laws fucking evenly applied across the US, but whatever. The bigger problem with revenge porn and the way that a lot of these different state laws are written is that a lot of people conceptualize revenge porn in their brains as anything that falls under the umbrella of non-consensual pornography, like porn that is published or made without the consent of one or more of the parties involved. You know, sharing nudes is non-consensual porn if you are sharing nudes that the person who is nude didn't say you could share. But from a legal perspective, non-consensual porn is not revenge porn. Revenge porn is a type of non-consensual porn, but it is a very specific type that is viewed as an issue of harassment rather than an issue of an invasion of privacy. So that means someone can share nudes of you non-consensually, but unless they did it with the specific intent to harm you, the specific knowing intent to harm you, they are not committing an act of revenge porn. So like, let's say even go back to Kim Kardashian and Ray J and Kim Kardashian superstar. If Ray J and Vivid had gone forward with the plan to publish the sex tape without Kim's consent, that would not count as revenge porn for Kim because Ray J and Vivid would have been selling the sex tape to make a profit. They wouldn't be selling it because they just wanted to hurt Kim. That wasn't the point of the sale. That wasn't the point of the distribution. And that can even happen on a smaller scale with like, let's say a boyfriend has nude photos of his girlfriend and he shows them to his friends just to brag, just for bragging rights, to be like, look how hot my girlfriend is. Look, my girlfriend sends me nudes, your girlfriend doesn't. He's not sharing those nudes 
to harass his girlfriend. But if the girlfriend found out about it, she might very well be upset. She might feel like her privacy was invaded. She might feel violated. She might feel low-key just like assaulted because this is a form of sexual assault even if it doesn't happen to your body physically someone seeing you nude or seeing you in a sexual situation without your consent is violating it's an assault legally though that girl wouldn't really have any method of pressing charges it's not revenge porn because he didn't do it with the sole intent to harass if you remember the Amber Heard Johnny Depp thing with the unsealed documents and how Johnny was trying to put put forward some photos of Amber when she was nude, sexually explicit photos of Amber, he was using the reasoning that there might be things in the photos that disprove some of the claims that Amber makes. Like maybe she says that something happened on a certain date and he can pull up that photo to say like, oh, well, she didn't look that injured to me. Like, there was some sort of other purpose to share those photos theoretically. And that is how, if the court had decided that that was something Johnny could do, that is how it would happen. It's not revenge porn if there's any other sort of explanation for why you're sharing those photos. Even if you kinda know that you're gonna hurt someone by doing it, it wasn't your only intent, so it's not revenge porn. And that is a huge legal loophole that gets exploited constantly. So all these people who are being like, oh, we just need to make deepfake porn illegal the way that we already made revenge porn illegal, like that's an issue that we've just totally solved, that's just not true. That's a very naive way to look at this situation. Revenge porn is actually at an increase. It has been at an increase since the pandemic. And I'm not gonna say that the current laws against revenge porn haven't helped reduce it a lot because we've all been online and technology is evolving and more and more people are communicating virtually. So of course, Crimes like this that happened primarily on the internet are going to be on a rise, and the rates of revenge porn might well be much higher if we didn't have any laws protecting these victims. But the laws that we have haven't stopped this issue. It is an increasing problem in our society. So I, I would like that acknowledged. Since we're all discussing deep fake porn, let's remember that we haven't actually solved the issue of revenge porn. But the other reason that I'm really glad that Cutie Cinderella made the video that she did is that I think there are a lot of people that genuinely don't understand why deep fake porn is bad. And some of those people are just people that don't respect women's boundaries or the boundaries of other individuals at all and think that they have an entitlement to depict people in whatever way they feel like depicting them. Some people do just like suck. But I think that there are a lot of people who also just never considered this being something that was really harmful to the people who are depicted in these videos. And I know for some of us that might sound ridiculous, that it might feel like common sense, like, oh, of course you can't just make a video of someone having sex that they didn't consent to, especially sex that they didn't even participate in, like, that's so violating and fucked up. For some of us that feels like common sense, but Let's remember, 
Stuff like this has existed for a really, really long time and hasn't been questioned. And this is why I want to go back to the Pamela Anderson thing, because last year, Hulu made that show, Pam and Tommy, where they told the story of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's sex tape with actors that were not Pamela and Tommy, and in full knowledge that Pamela Anderson did not consent and did not approve of this show that they were making. And so this show that was theoretically trying to sympathize with Pamela Anderson because of how her privacy had been violated by the publishing of her sex tape when it was just like stolen from her house, they were sympathizing with her for that, that that's a crime that should not have occurred. And yet while doing that, they had Lily James playing Pamela. They made her up to look exactly like Pamela. I mean, the likeness is very, very similar. And Lily James, even though I think she shouldn't have done the fucking show to begin with, she did pull off a pretty good performance. And she did have a, uh, a way of speaking that was very similar to Pamela. You watch that show and you feel like you're watching Pamela Anderson. And you feel like you're watching Tommy Lee. And when they are depicting the creation of the sex tape, you feel like you're watching Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee having sex. You feel like you're watching the sex tape that the producers of the Hulu series agree should not have been published. So is that really that different from deep fake pornography? When you feel like you're looking at these public figures having sex in a way that the actual public figures have not consented to you viewing. That was still a violation that was able to occur and then got nominated for a whole bunch of Emmys and shit and possibly even won. I don't really watch the Emmys that often, so I don't know and I don't care. But still, this was something that existed on a very mainstream accessible platform that a lot of people watched and didn't have issue with. So obviously, when we're trying to explain to people that deepfake porn is bad, it is kind of a little confusing for some people because things like this have existed for a long time and we've all kind of looked the other way. Same shit with fucking Taylor Swift and other people who were also in that video. I know people focused on Taylor the most, but the Kanye West video for Famous, which featured a wax figure of a nude Taylor Swift along with a nude Rihanna and Amber Rose and who else? I mean, Kim, but I, I'm assuming Kim consented to that because it was her husband and Caitlyn Jenner and other people. There were men in, in that video too, but because men, men don't, Men have to do a lot more to be considered nude and for something to be considered obscene. So there were no dicks in the video is what I'm saying. But there were plenty of boobs and boobs of people who did not consent to having these wax figures of them made, including Taylor Swift, who very vocally did not approve of this. And those wax figures have actually, they were like sold at auction. They still exist. The famous music video is still on YouTube. YouTube, which primarily does not allow nudity, but does allow it in like some artistic forms. It's up there. You can look at it. I, I wouldn't recommend looking at it. But again, this is something that has been enabled on large platforms for a long time, even though it is a very similar kind of violation. You made a wax figure of a woman who did not consent 
to having this wax figure made and you put it in a video and you made it to look like it's her naked and it's not. It's it's not okay and it hasn't been okay for a long time. And this this stuff just opens up a lot of other questions about where it is that we draw the line with how we depict other people and other people's likeness. So Obviously, I think that the line should be drawn way before we get to the point of deep fake pornography, but do we draw it at, like, fan art? Sexually explicit fan art? And of whom? Maybe, yeah, we aren't comfortable with people drawing nude fan art of real people, but what if they do it of a character on a TV show that is still played by a real person? Or same thing with, like, fan fiction. If you're writing a story about different, like, characters on a TV show that are having sex, uh, those characters are still played by real actors, so in a way that can still be kind of violating to their sexual privacy, but also, of course, there's a lot of fan fiction that exists about real people. If you go onto Wattpad and you you look at all the fiction on there, a lot of it is like One Direction fan fiction, BTS fan fiction, and not all of it is sexual, but some of it is. And I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's a horrible thing because Wattpad is the place where a lot of young women especially are able to express their sexuality in a way that feels non-threatening to them. And they do it by appealing to these parasocial relationships that I think for the most part a lot of those young people know is not necessarily representative of the real people that they're writing about, you know? I think that a lot of people do have an understanding that when you're writing a fanfic about Harry Styles, you're not really... you're working up off your own idea of what you would like Harry Styles to be like. It's not necessarily indicative of who he really is as a person. So there's a bit of a separation there as long as as long as these people understand the boundaries, but we can't guarantee that everyone understand those those boundaries and also I wouldn't fault someone like Harry Styles for being uncomfortable with the things that other people are writing about them without their consent. But how do you legislate that? How do you say that there are certain things you can't write about because it involves real people? And does that infringe upon someone's First Amendment rights and their right to expression? And I I don't know. I really don't. I wish there was a very simple answer for this, but I, I'm not sure that there is. Even if we decide, like, okay, writing forms are permissible because that's that's so detached from someone's real body, you know? You're not actually depicting their likeness. You're just writing a story with with them as like a template. So maybe that's okay. But then you get into the issue of like parody porn. And there was like that that woman years ago who got kind of popular and was in like an Eminem video because she was a porn star who primarily did Sarah Palin parody porn. Like she pretended to be Sarah Palin. And obviously it's not Sarah Palin. She is too big of boobs to be Sarah Palin, but in face and everything, she does actually look quite a lot like Sarah Palin. And and in the pornographic films that she was making, she was in scenarios in which you're supposed to believe, you're supposed to like fantasize. You, you know, you don't necessarily believe it. You know that it's not the real Sarah Palin, but you're fantasizing about, oh, what if this was Sarah Palin in this circumstance? 
Is that okay? I, I don't know. In some ways, I would say, yeah, because it's not the real Sarah Palin, and the people who are watching that porn, they know it's not Sarah Palin, but they are pretending in some ways that it is as a part of their own sexual fantasy. And the thing that disturbs me about that that scenario in particular is that you know that a lot of the people who are watching that porn were not fans of Sarah Palin. And I'm not a fan of Sarah Palin. But I also don't think that people who aren't fans of Sarah Palin should feel empowered to watch porn made to be in her likeness so that they can pretend that this person that they hate is getting, like, railed by Obama or someone. I don't know. It is a way to kind of associate your real dislike for a real human being with sexual gratification and, and a sexual fetish. It, it's a little weird to me, and it's something that I don't think that I thought a whole lot about prior to this last, like, month or so, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where these lines really should be in how we legislate this stuff. For sure, deep fake porn, gotta go. Revenge porn, gotta go. But not every scenario is totally clear-cut on what the boundaries are between sexual fantasy and another person's bodily autonomy. Or just, not even bodily autonomy, but their right to their own public image and public conception. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is for this shit. And I just wish that we were a lot better at how we discuss sexual boundaries, because I think that that would make these conversations easier to have. Because some people have never even considered that this shit was wrong to begin with. And oh, that's frightening. That's frightening for this new world that we're going into with technology, we are not prepared to legislate and and discuss the boundaries for. I, I don't know what we're gonna do, you guys. We're kind of fucked. Whatever. I also don't trust self-driving cars. That's a different topic, but just while we're discussing how scary technology is, I just want that out there. I don't trust them. Anyway, interested to hear any of your thoughts. If you want to send me an email letting me know what you think, or if you listen to this on YouTube, or if you listen to this somewhere else, I do post these on YouTube, so you can hop on over to YouTube if you want and just write it in the comments. Let me know, because I don't know what the right answer to all this shit is, but uh, at least at least we'll get through this future together, hopefully. Um, okay then. Bye!